Now would you turn with me this evening to the Gospel according to Matthew in chapter 7. Continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 7. And we'll read the first six verses. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce or the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you see see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log or the plank that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Judge not, that you be not judged. The opening words of this chapter Uh, they probably contain the most misquoted phrase in the whole of the English language. Because when we come to this concluding chapter which records uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we're confronted with a phrase which everyone, everywhere, whether Christian or not, they frequently quote it out of context. And you know, when we consider the English language uh, and the many anecdotes and phrases which we have in our language, a lot of them are drawn from Scripture. A lot of them are drawn from the Bible and they're often misquoted from Scripture. For example, the phrase from Exodus 21, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which has nothing to do with having the right to take revenge upon your enemies. Or what Paul reminded young Timothy when he said the love of money is the root of all evil. He didn't say that money is the root of all evil. But he said the love of money is the root of all evil. But if we were to give a top ten of misquoted phrases and verses from the Bible, I believe that without question the opening words of this chapter would be number one. Judge not that you be not judged. But what should be so alarming to us is that the majority of those who who misquote this verse are those who have no care or concern for the authority of Scripture. Because from a worldly perspective, Jesus is teaching tolerance. But from a biblical perspective, the purpose of Jesus in this section, in the Sermon on the Mount, is to teach us, well, not to judge but to judge, but to also judge with discernment. And there's a gulf of a difference between tolerance and discernment. And of course, as we look at this section this evening, uh, we want to follow the correct teaching of Jesus. Not only because we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but also because our desire, as we've been taught, is to live a Christ-centered life. So let's again sit in the school of Christ and learn from the teaching of Jesus here. Because as we look at this section on judging, we can see that Jesus presents to us 
three things. Three things. Jesus, first of all, he issues a command in verses 1 and 2. And then he highlights a contrast in verses 3 and 4. And then Jesus delivers his conclusion in verses 5 and 6. So very simply, the command, the contrast, and the conclusion. The command, the contrast, and the conclusion. So we'll look firstly at the command. The command in verses 1 and 2. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you judge or pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And so the context of, of Jesus issuing this commandment was of course because of the Pharisees. And that has been the case with a lot of and much of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching his followers how to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven in contrast to the Pharisees and their teaching. Therefore when Jesus presents this command He's warning Christians, he's warning us against making judgments in a hypocritical and a condemning manner. And that's what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. Because they were very good at making a false judgment about themselves and about other people and even about Jesus. For when the scribes and the Pharisees looked at themselves, all that they saw was their righteousness, their self-righteousness. They saw how good and how, how faithful they were in all their acts and how religious they were and that all that they said and all that they did. And they considered themselves to be so holy and so righteous. And they were so preoccupied with their own standards that uh, they couldn't really see themselves. It's as if they were surrounded by mirrors and all they could see was their own reflection. How great they were. A reflection that was incomparable to everyone else. And because of their behaviour and their selfish nature, the Pharisees, they judged everyone else according to their own standards. They judged everyone and criticised everyone according to their own standards, even Jesus. And they judged and criticised others and they found fault in everyone else. All according to what they thought and what they believed to be right. It was all according to what they thought how things should be done. But the problem was the scribes and the Pharisees, they were acting like God. They were assuming God's position as judge and doing God's judging for him. And so when Jesus introduces this section of teaching, he wants, he wants to put the Pharisees in their place. And he wants to put the Pharisee in us in our place. So that we will not judge anyone. And, but that first of all we must judge ourselves. That's what Jesus is saying. And the command which Jesus issues is straightforward. Judge not. That you be not judged. And what Jesus is saying is don't play God. Don't play God. Don't judge other people like God does. Well, that's God's job. That's his, his rule. He's king. He can. But don't condemn people, he's saying. Don't criticize other people. Don't judge other people because when you do, you will be judged. Not by others, but by the judge, by God himself. And that's where the Pharisees went wrong. They, they played God and they, they sought to condemn people 
and other people. Uh, but they didn't even consider. They didn't even consider thinking. They didn't even think that God would one day judge them. They thought they were perfect. God's not going to judge me. And so Jesus issues the command, judge not, that you be not judge, judged. <clears throat> but Jesus then he expands upon his command by detailing the outcome of putting yourself into God's position. If you, if you assume the role of a judge, Jesus says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And what's clear with what Jesus does here is that he uses, he uses the same verb three times. And Jesus does this twice in order to emphasize the point. He says, the judgment you judge, you will be judged. The judgment you judge with, you shall be judged. And as you can see, the verb to judge is used three times. But in order to make himself perfectly clear, Jesus says, the measure you measure with is what you will be measured by. And here, again, he uses the verb to measure three times. And in both cases, the point is the same. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. And so what Jesus is stressing to us is that one of the dangers which threatens the citizens of the kingdom of heaven who sincerely seek after God's righteousness, what threatens us is our temptation to look down on others. Those who either aren't citizens of the kingdom of heaven or those who aren't as zealous as you are for the things of God. And what Jesus is warning us is that our desire for righteousness and pleasing God and living a circumspect life, it can very quickly become self-righteousness. Just like it was with the Pharisees. They were earnest in what they did. They had, they had in a sense, the right desire, the right motive, but they'd lost sight of why they did it. And so when Jesus issues the command, he's Highlighting a, a great danger for the Christian of assuming this elevated position like that of a judge and, and looking down on other people. And the danger is that, that Jesus is pointing out is that we become obsessed with fault finding. Or we're, we're quick to blame other people for things. We're always, we're, we're always watching them and we're always passing hasty judgments upon them and making comments about other people and sometimes we magnify their, their errors and their infirmities in order that when we tell other people in order that they'll see the worst in them too. But Jesus is saying to us, watch. Watch. You must watch against this. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't deceive yourself. Don't be self-righteous. And by making these statements, Jesus doesn't want us to forget that regardless of what view we have of ourselves, whether, in our own, whether it's in our own heart or, or what we say publicly, whatever view we have of ourselves, our Saviour wants to remind us we are sinners and we still need forgiveness. And if we have received mercy then we must show it towards others. And we need to be constantly reminded that 
our standing as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, it's all of grace from beginning to end. In God's grace, we've been given what we don't deserve. And in God's mercy, we have not been given what we do deserve. And that's the view we ought to have of ourselves as as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're not the judge. We're not to, to be the judge and we are not to assume the position of the judge. But we have to remember that we are those who are sinners. But we are also those who have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He stands condemned, stands judged in our place. And if we are conscious of our own failures and our own weaknesses and our own need of continual forgiveness, then we won't have an attitude that condemns other people. We won't boast of self above everyone else. We won't seek to criticise or or fault find with others. Instead, we will be patient, loving and gentle with people. And that's what makes this command so applicable to me and to everyone, every one of us. Because when we are confronted with our true self, we all know that we fall short. And that we have no right to judge anyone else. And so that's the first thing we see here, the commandment. That's the first thing, the commandment. But secondly, Jesus presents the contrast The contrast, where he says in verses 3 and 4, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log or the plank that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? And what we see here is that, once again, Jesus gives to us a vivid illustration in order to emphasise his teaching. Simply because he's seeking to drive home the point. But when we try and capture this illustration in our minds, it seems that Jesus has made the contrast in this illustration so stark that we can't miss the point. The illustration Jesus uses is so vivid that there is is no one who would ever misunderstand what he's saying. No one can misunderstand the, the contrast between The speck, which I presume is probably sawdust, and the plank, the plank of wood. But the way in which Jesus presents the illustration is that it's in the form of a question. But it's a question which highlights that we are guilty. Because Jesus asks, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? And the you is inclusive. It includes everyone, which means that we are all guilty of this. Whether we look at the speck in our brother's eye privately in our own heart, or we, or we do it publicly with other people. And Jesus says, we're all guilty of seeing faults in other people and overlooking our own faults, which is true. I don't suppose there would be anyone in here who would deny what Jesus is saying. Because he knows our heart. And he knows we're guilty. But the problem or the reason why we would look at the speck in our brother's eye. Is because we don't notice the plank in our own eye. 
And the imagery which Jesus is creating in our minds is it's something that's impossible. Because it's, it's easy to overlook a little speck of sawdust. But it's impossible to overlook a plank. Especially when the plank which Jesus is referring to is one, would be one of the, the main beams in the structure of a house. Like we have ourselves with, whether it's a joist in the floor or a truss in the, in the roof. It's a large piece of wood. And it's impossible to miss. But Jesus says here, the reason why we would look at the speck in our brother's eye is because we don't notice the plank in our own. And for all its size and its length in comparison to the speck of sawdust, we can't see it. We can't see it. Jesus says, you don't notice it. You don't consider it. You, you don't observe the plank that's in your own eye. And thinking about it, the illustration is its so ridiculous. Really. The contrast between sawdust and a plank of wood it's ridiculous, but that's the point which Jesus is making. Because you would expect to see the plank in your own eye. You would expect to notice something that big in your own eye. But because we are maybe so obsessed with the problems of others and other people's business, we can fail to consider, we fail to consider our own problems and our own failures, which causes us to have this judgmental spirit and where we comment on people and maybe we put our nose into people's lives and yet fail to see what's on our own doorstep but Jesus then goes a, a step further with the illustration he says in verse 4 how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the plank in your own eye and what Jesus is highlighting is the arrogance of it all. That we would dare tell anyone or help someone with their problem when we have more ourselves. And it's no wonder Jesus says at the beginning of verse 5, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. The hypocrisy of it all that we would be critical of others and possess a, a judgmental attitude that would tear others down in order to build ourselves up. And Jesus just says it as it is, you hypocrite. That goes straight through you. You hypocrite. It's wrong, he says. It's not right to condemn others and promote yourself. But the issue that Jesus is getting at is that he's pointing out that the Pharisees were adding all these man-made laws and rituals and, and rules and none of them were scriptural. scriptural yes they may have had a purpose in their eyes but uh, they couldn't these laws they couldn't dictate them to, to other people and enforce these laws and if people didn't keep them they weren't to judge them because of them but that's the problem that the scribes and the Pharisees had where they had created all these rules for others and yet not even they could keep them. And you know, we can be like that too. Where we have our man-made rules and some of them are good and helpful. But sometimes we hold them in higher esteem than the laws of God. 
And sometimes we put these things first before the things of God. And it can cause us to have a negative attitude towards others because they don't do these things that the way we do them or the way we've always done them. For example, here's your example. If someone comes to church, maybe for the first time, and they don't wear a suit or a skirt or a hat, and we see them, we're not to judge them. We're not to think less of them or not talk to them or talk about them or even go over and tell them that they should be dressed in a certain manner when they come to the Lord's house and yes personally I think that people should come to the Lord's house dressed appropriately because it's the Lord's house we are here to worship the king and we should dress accordingly and I think the head covering is biblical and that women should wear the head covering. because, But these things, these things, the point is that these things should never stand in the way. They shouldn't make us judges over people. These planks should never hinder anyone from coming to church. Because when people come to church, we should welcome them warmly. We should speak to them. We should make them feel at home. We should make them feel that this... This building, it's a place for sinners. And that we're not above them in any way. That's the way the world has always viewed the church. We're always looking down on them. But they need to realize that every single one of us is a sinner. And that we're not above them in any way. And that's what James was telling us in his letter in chapter 2. Because he was saying... If there should come somebody into your assembly, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come this other man who's in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing all the, the fine, fine linen and clothes, and you say to him, sit in this good place, sir. But you say to the poor man, you sit there, or sit at my feet. And then James asks the question, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And it's a challenging question. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And it's a question that James is asking us to apply to ourselves, not only in that situation of church, but every situation that we encounter. We're not to be hypocritical Christians. We are not to be hypocrites. And so with this stark contrast between the sawdust and the plank, Jesus illustrates what it means not to judge. But as we move into the conclusion of Jesus' teaching, it seems that there's a, an apparent contradiction because Jesus tells us that we are to judge people he's repeatedly told us not to judge but in verses 5 and 6 Jesus says that we are to judge and we are to make judgments so let's look lastly at, at the conclusion we've looked at the command and the, the contrast but now look at the conclusion in verses 5 and 6 Jesus says in verse 5 you hypocrite First, take the log or the plank out of your own eye, 
and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them under foot and turn to attack you. And so what we see in these verses, especially in verse 5, is that Jesus doesn't say that we aren't to make judgments or to judge others. We're not, but we're not to do it in a hypocritical manner. In other words, Jesus is saying, in order to make a statement or a judgment, we need to get our priorities right. Because we must, first of all, remove the plank from our own eye, which is hindering us and causing us to have this obscured vision. But once we've done that, says Jesus, then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. It's then yet that you are equipped. It's then yet that you're equipped to bring help to your brother. And with this, we shouldn't miss what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus doesn't say that the brother's speck is somehow insignificant. He doesn't say you're not to judge your brother at all. Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't minimise the speck. Although it seems insignificant in comparison to, to the plank It's still important. And it still needs to be dealt with. But we're not to stretch the illustration and think that the plank is a big sin and the speck is a little sin. Not at all. That's not the point. The point is that as children of our Heavenly Father, or as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a responsibility towards one another. Our responsibility is to, first of all, Look at ourselves, self-examination, and deal with our planks. Deal with our self-righteousness. But Jesus is teaching that once we have dealt with our self-righteousness, it's then that we are responsible to our brother or sister in Christ. And here Jesus stresses this responsibility, not to be a judge over them, but to be an encourager to them. And that's not easy. It's not easy to speak to your brother or sister if they're living in sin or or struggling with sin. It's not easy, but it's our responsibility to help them. And sometimes our brother or sister, they, they will not welcome such help. Instead, they'll maybe see it as criticism or that you're judging them. But the reason for that is because they have the plank in their eye and they can't see it. But if we love one another, as Jesus says we ought to, then our desire will be to encourage and enable one another to walk in righteousness. And rather than speaking about our brother or sister, we go to them. Rather than gossiping about them, we pray with them. Rather than judging them, we help encourage and restore them. That's a challenge. And that's what Paul was teaching the Galatians when he wrote to them. Because he emphasised in chapter 5 about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all these, the the fruit of the Spirit and the need for self-examination. But then Paul goes on into chapter 6 and he opens with the statement, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in sin, 
you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. And that's the speck which Jesus is talking about here. But, says Paul in Galatians 6, watch yourself. Look for the plank in your own eye first. Watch yourself, lest you are also tempted. And then Paul encourages the Galatians, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfill the, the teaching of Jesus Christ. And so the point that Jesus is making in the Sermon on the Mount is judges condemn and punish, but brothers and sisters ought to restore and encourage. But in order to be someone that restores and encourages, we need to be discerning. We need to be discerning. And that's why Jesus says in verse 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And in these closing words, Jesus presents another vivid illustration, because to the Jewish ear, the mention of dogs or, or swine or pigs, it immediately indicates something that's unclean. And Jesus says, don't give things that are holy to dogs, because the dog will tear it in pieces. And don't cast your pearls before swine, because they will trample them under their feet. And the reason Jesus issues this statement at the end of this section on judging other people is so that we don't misunderstand and we don't misapply his teaching. Because what Jesus is saying with this illustration is that, yes, we are not to judge. And we're not to be self-righteous and critical and hurtful and we should consider our own heart before we speak to anyone else. But Jesus presents this illustration in order to prevent us from going to the opposite extreme. The opposite extreme of tolerating everything and turning a blind eye to error. Because that would be fatal. And so what Jesus is emphasizing is that we don't need judgment, but we do need discernment. We don't need judgment, but we do need discernment. We, we need to be able to discern between what is truth and what is error. Therefore, when Jesus says, judge not, he doesn't mean that it's wrong under any circumstance to pass an unfavorable unfavorable judgment upon the conduct and opinion of others. That's not what he said and that's what, not what he meant. Uh, and this is what Jesus is trying to make clear with this illustration in verse 6. That if we are unable, if we are unable to make judgments, then it's impossible for us to condemn error and refute false teaching. If we're unable to make any judgment at all, if judge not stands as judge not, then it's impossible for us to condemn error and refute false teaching. And with the scribes and the Pharisees, that's what Jesus was doing. He's condemning their error and refuting their teaching. But if we're unable to make judgments, this would also contradict other parts of Scripture that where we're taught to prove all things and to test the spirits. 
So we have to make judgments, not in a self-righteous manner, but one that seeks to uphold the truth of God's word. And to do that, we need to be discerning. We need to be discerning because if we are tolerant, then we're not living as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. We're not seeking to remove the speck from our, our brother's eye. And my friend, tolerance is destructive. Of course there's no excuse for being arrogant and, and self-righteous, but tolerance is destructive. And if we're tolerant with error or heresy in the church, then it will destroy the church. And if we're tolerant with wrongdoing in society, then it will destroy society. And our role as citizens of the kingdom of heaven is not to cower away from error or sinful behavior and just ignore it and get on with it and tolerate it. Our discernment ought to drive us to address the issues. But the problem we have in the 21st century is that we live in a world which increasingly strives to promote the idea of tolerance. But built into this tolerance is the concept that truth is determined by me. Individuals, not God. Truth is determined by me. Or in other words, in the words of Jesus, the truth is determined by dogs and swine and not by what's holy and precious. Namely, the word of God. And as I said earlier, this passage is the most misquoted passage in the entire Bible. But what should be alarming to us is that the majority of those who misquote this passage are those who have no care or concern for the authority of Scripture. Where they have misused and misapplied this passage to promote tolerance and to suit their own ends. And they've concluded that Christians can't judge anyone because Jesus said, judge not. And this claim that Christians are not to judge anyone, it's often made when dealing with all the issues such as abortion and adultery and homosexuality and transgender and same-sex marriage, three-parent babies, euthanasia and many other issues which go against the teaching of Scripture. But when a Christian says that any of these things are a sin or that they are wrong, our tolerant, politically correct society, it claims that we aren't to judge them because we are Christians. But that's to misquote, to misunderstand, to misapply the teaching of Jesus. That's to allow the word of God to be trampled underfoot by the swine and to be handled by dogs that will tear it in pieces and that's what Jesus is saying and you know it was J.C. Ryle in his commentary uh, when looking at this passage he stressed that this passage is frequently misapplied and abused by the enemies he says of true religion the enemies of true religion and Ryle he went on to say it is possible to press the words of the Bible so far that they yield not medicine, but poison. 
it is possible to press the words of the Bible so far that they yield not medicine, but poison. And that's what Jesus is warning us against. Don't give them the opportunity to use scripture. Don't allow them to cast the pearls. Don't allow these dogs to to trample it underfoot. And that those who call for tolerance and quote, judge not out of context, they're not only being intolerant, not only being intolerant of Christians, but they're also, they're not using sound thinking. Their call for tolerance is impossible because as Christians, we are to judge righteously. We're to judge between right and wrong, between truth and error, between good and evil. And it's something we ought to do every day in every situation we're confronted with. Because it should be part of our biblical discernment. And not based upon our opinions or theories. But biblical discernment in which the word of God is our compass. Our only rule to direct us. On the issues of truth and morality so that as citizens of the kingdom of heaven we may glorify and enjoy him forever. The commandment, the contrast, the conclusion. It's a very challenging statement. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord our gracious God, we confess how much we fall short. We realize that we are often hasty to speak and slow to listen. But, O Lord, that we might pray like the psalmist who said, Show me thy ways, O Lord, thy paths, O teach thou me. And do thou lead me in thy truth, therein my teacher be, that we would see thy word as the truth and also our teacher to guide us in life Help us, Lord, to love one another, to build one another up, to stand firm for the truth of Jesus Christ, to realise that thy word is the truth, a truth that is sanctifying us each and every day. It is making us more and more like Jesus Christ. And help us then, we pray thee, to absorb it, to drink it in, to know that in it there is life eternal, O Lord, that thou wouldst bless us then. Bless us in our own homes, our own families, our own witness, that we would serve thee with gladness, that we would do as we began this evening, that we would show forth thy loving kindness even with the morning light, that we would declare thy faithfulness with pleasure every night. Lord, bless us then, we pray. Undertake for us and do us good. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I'll conclude by singing in Psalm 26. Psalm 26 in the Scottish Psalter. That's page 235. Psalm 26, singing from the beginning down to the verse marked 7. Psalm 26 from the beginning. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I trusted also in the Lord. Slide therefore shall not I. Examine me and do me prove. Try heart and reins, O God. 
for thy love is before mine eyes, and thy truth's paths I have I have trod. Down to the verse mark seven of Psalm twenty six to God's praise. <laughs> Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.